Hello, hello. Welcome to the very new episode of By All Means Necessary. This one, we're finishing off this month strong with an episode where I can't make any jokes because it wouldn't be appropriate. So of course you know there are gonna be some jokes that are gonna be made. Few geniuses haven't clocked yet. Yes, I am naming all of my titles, butchering the commonly known expressions by now. Maybe first few episodes I wasn't as much and then it just since I changed the name, yep, I am just uh, messing up the commonly used expressions. Because the name of this podcast is an expression now and I can do with it whatever the hell I want, okay? I'm a solo host. Do I have a partner in crime here sitting next to me? Making me consider this decision? No. Mm-mm. So you're stuck with this, yeah? What's the title of this episode? Question. Question why it's named like this. What does it actually hide? Remember when I covered Takashi and I was like, oh, serious because, well, he's still alive and uh, he will be coming out of prison and the gang can be after me? Yeah, Karma is a bitch. Well, this guy is still alive and he might as well be paroled. I should really not be making jokes out of respect for the parents of another kid. Then, uh, you know, I'm tasteful, I make jokes about my own life and comparisons and analogies that make zero sense to everybody else. Let's just dive in, let's just see how it goes. Eric Smith was a 13-year-old who just escalated from killing animals to killing a small human. He murdered a 4-year-old Derek Robbie and moved on with his day. It will be an identification of his particular dislike for a certain type of fruit that will lead to his capture. We have our killer, we have our victim. What was the motive? So Eric was 13 years old in 1993 when he was just riding a bike and then he saw this four-year-old Derek Robbie and he just like lured him into a patch of woods. Obviously the child thought like they're coming out to play and he started beating him up with rocks. It was actually said that he dropped a rock that weighed 26 pounds, which, you know, I think it's half in kgs. The hell do I know? I don't weigh myself in pounds, that's depressing, no? Why would I know how much I weigh in pounds? Or the worst, the worst people are the ones that weigh themselves in stones. Like, how does that not depress you? It's like, oh, how much, like, how many stones do you weigh? What do you mean? I'm not a fucking stone, okay? I'm a human, I'm a flesh. Okay, so, so obviously he dropped, like, a rock of 26 pounds, which speculates actually, did he pre-plan? this rock and like this actual location as well like what level of premeditation went into this because i mean that's a pretty big rock to just find randomly then after he kills a four-year-old eric robbie he sodomizes him with a stick and he would say the reason for a stick is that he thought he's going to reach a heart of a child and stop it Again, you're 13, but like some basic knowledge of anatomy, or are you just like lying for your teeth? So now the child is dead, but he's just like, he didn't have enough. It just speaks to the psyche of this guy. He doesn't have enough. He goes for a lunch sack and smashes banana on top of him. Just remember this part because it's actually going to play a big part later. And then uh, he pours Kool Aid on his wounds as well. <laughs> for people who are not American, I googled what Kool-Aid is for all of you. It's like a juice box, you know, like in the UK, those like small juices that you would put into your child's lunchbox. 
It just has a creepier aspect to it. It just has such a creepy packaging. I don't know why, but it creeps me out. I regretted googling it. So yeah, Google Kool-Aid. I actually thought it was something like, because they said they put it on their wounds, so when I actually read it, like, I know it wouldn't make sense to have this in a lunchbox, but I thought it sounded like a mouthwash or something with alcohol in it, so like, he thought it would hurt him more even though he's dead. But no, nothing makes sense. Why smash a banana? Why pour him with Kool-Aid? So later it came actually about that he arranged Derek's body as well. So the left sneaker has been removed and was lying next to his right hand and his right sneaker has been removed and was lying near his left hand. So it kind of almost looked like the body was posed in that position. Why I focus on this is, again, you know, if you think about serial killers, you know, like, criminals that are of age, they usually have like this nonsensical logic, right? Like they focus on how they position the body, what they do to it, and it's sort of special and unique to them in some way. Which again here makes you think like, was Eric Smith like really premeditating? Was he really thinking about this? Or was it just like a spur of a moment and him leaving his signature? You know, a normal person goes to their job and they're like, yep, I'm gonna leave a stamp today. I'm gonna tell Mary they're doing such a great job on that project, you know. I'm gonna make somebody's day. I'm gonna make a coffee to my colleague that sits next to me. You know, or in the quarantine, yeah, I'm just gonna give, you know, an online shout out to this person. But with criminals, it's it's quite different kind of a signature, you know, just if you are like a day one in true crime. <laughs> so he just moves on with his day. They were, both of them were actually attending this like recreational, kind of like a boot camp kind of situation, but yeah, for kids. So he goes there, but yeah, he keeps kind of like returning back and forth to the body. It was unknown, like, was he playing with it, but he still kept it as staged, like, they still found it as staged as I described. Serious side note here, okay? I noticed that I say the word body. <laughs> in a really strange way. I don't know why. It's just like the accent is sort of like on the down low. I don't even know how to describe it. Now I notice when everybody says that word in any video, in any fucking context. And I just hate how everybody pronounces it. It's just because you start like bo and then go like down, body. And like, it's just... I don't know. I hate that word now. I love my body though. (laughs) I just have such a conflict with this word. Uh, moving on. So let's go to the discovery and his actual trial and conviction now. Body was found on the same day of the murder, and the investigators actually close up on him. They're like, oh yeah, let's question this child. He goes to the same recreational camp, like they, you know, live on the same street. Actually, the whole place, Savona, where they lived, was said to have, I think, a population of 900-something. It will come up later in the story. It was a really small city, so, like, it was just down the road from, like, where they all lived. So it's like, hey, yeah, we are questioning this child. Did it make sense to question him? Because he goes to recreational camp with the little Derek. Basically, the investigators say that he got actually really emotional when they asked him to tell him where he last saw Derek. So his voice started cracking, he, like, put his head down. And then he, again, the creepiest thing is like when little kids clench their fists. So his twists were vibrating a little bit and then he goes, you think I killed him, don't you? Like, yeah, Eric, we we don't just chat with kids about murder every day. 
You're not here to consult on this. You're not a fucking consultant. You're a child. Yeah, we are treating you as a fucking suspect, mate. So police interrogates him and he says he saw Derek at 9.15, which they immediately find out. They're like, this is red flag because the medical examiner put time of death for Derek Robbie at 9.20. So they're like, okay, so you've seen him literally five minutes before he was completely dead, out of breath. Interesting. Like, that's too close of a, of a timeline. Now, I have never read anything that, like, made me think, like, this would genuinely be me as a suspect. Like, I would suck at this. I'll be like, no, 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 I was there. I was there earlier than they died. You know, I always come everywhere unreasonably early. And I would be that person, be like, yeah, yeah, I, w- I was there in time, you know. And by in time, I mean, like, half an hour earlier than I should have been. And they'll be like, uh, that coincides with the actual killing. I'll be like, okay, scratch that. Scratch that, please. <laughs> to the point that I was a kid in school. I could not deal with being late. If I was ever to wake up late to go to school, I would actually just be like, yeah, can I call it off? Like, can I take a whole sick day? And then my parents would be like, um, no, you're like 15 minutes late. You can still, you know, seize the most of this day. So <laughs> I would come in. Like, this happened maybe once or twice, okay? But I would always, like, my defense is, no, I'm coming in with the grossest possible excuse that can definitely justify my lateness, but it also gross everybody out. Don't make them ask any further questions. So yeah, I'm glad he didn't use, like, mad diarrhea as his defense, you know? Which I would have probably done. Then, this is why you don't commit a crime, and you definitely don't commit crimes as a kid, because you can't keep track of time, and when you were there, and when you were supposed to say you weren't there. Eric fucking Smith. Also, he was able to describe a lunch bag, and he again gets so angry, he clenches the, the face. And what detectives do, they bring him actually some Kool-Aid, they're like, oh yeah, he's a child, he won't want water, you know, while we're interrogating him, so let's give him some juice, yeah? And he just smashes it to the ground, they're like, okay, second red flag. I put for a description of Kool-Aid, flavored drink, creepy packaging, kind of like a juice you'd put in your kid's lunchbox, just oversized. <laughs> shade every time you get how do you still how is this podcast not cancelled by americans how do you still like i'm still my biggest audience i don't get it okay i get it like cover american crimes i get it so eric actually asked the investigator what would happen if he turned out to be a kid and the investigator said like i seriously think they would need some psychiatric help so he was just like oh okay and he just walks away like yeah okay just just questioning you know nothing to do with without actually being a kid. So gradually details begin to leak out about the crime. So there's this family friend that comes up about a new theory about the murder. So she said, we think it's a kid and they don't like bananas because otherwise, like whoever killed Derek squashed this banana, right? Adult would not do nonsense like that. I mean, the Kool-Aid and the bananas, like, which adult would just pay attention to that and, like, open up a lunchbox and do that shit? So they're like, an adult would have just discarded the banana for the whole lunchbox. Yeah, they wouldn't have squashed it and made a mess. So she launches her own investigation into the murder and she went up to the store and bought ice cream and nuts 
and syrup and bananas um, and she brought it home and last everybody so like what she does is she brings all of this home to, like to prepare Sundays and then gathers like the kids from the block that knew Derek Robbie and she's like yeah everybody wanted Sundays that's great and then when she gave it to Eric Eric was going to have nuts and the syrup on it but he didn't want banana it's just how he reacted he's like no I don't like banana and then just like slammed it <laughs> like again just like slammed it off the table she called like basically Derek's mom and she was like Eric doesn't like bananas and I'm scared just imagine again don't give children this power okay <laughs> but like you're just you just know at that point then and there you're in a house with a child murderer and like you're like okay this can escalate how do I go about this boy's life anybody remember lonely island video fruit on the ground yep I feel like that was inspired by Eric Smith he was just like any evidence you know that was incriminating or in any way connected him to the crime he would just like slam it on the ground from like freaking bananas to kool-aid it's like it makes you look like a suspect a little kid this is what kids stop committing crimes and then incriminating yourselves you need to be a genius kid to get away with a little crime okay you're little calm the fuck down five days after the death of Derek his funeral takes place he was buried in baseball uniform because he was really into baseball it's just so sad this is also when like Eric's family kind of gets suspicious like more and more suspicious of him because he just like continues about his day like completely normal like nothing is happening like you knew this child like why are you not empathizing why don't you give a fuck and finally, seven days after the murder, he admits he caves in and says he doesn't know why he did it. So he has been sentenced for a second degree murder. And this is like the trial and everything. This is when it gets media heavy. There are actually some like recordings of some witnesses in this trial that you can watch online as well. Which I watched, it just made your blood boil, but hey. So during the trial, why was of the importance? Like, most of this information is from the CBS News article, which is called Why Did Eric Kill? And again, it tries to yeah, answer everything about the motive. So 71 pieces of evidence are included, including his medical reports, because this is when people actually, you know, tested him to see like, hey, is there some like medical issues here that we can use as defense? And the prosecution was like, hey, is there... Is he completely sane? Can we go harsh at him, right? So, prosecution already had his confession, so that was already going into their favor. But defense claimed he had mental illness, that he was abused at home, that he was teased, and like in school and by everybody. So, I was just like, yeah, let's play the insanity defense on this child. Prosecution, like, was really going at this angle that he actually chose to do something horrible that he was like some premeditation involved but it was actually like his choice he didn't have to do any of this like he was just driving his bike as a normal kid on the road could have just continued the recreation camp you know then defense attorney says against that that he actually there was no choice he suffered with very serious mental disease and the fact that he seemed normal afterwards shows in fact that he's not normal which you kind of like not that i agree with the defense but i mean that is kind of right like you can't just continue move on with your day if you are a completely normal human who has any show like showcase of empathy so defense actually had the psychiatrist dr Stephen Herman, who diagnosed Smith with intermittent explosive disorder. So he says he has uncontrollable rage, and then obviously what goes into the favor is like 
how he was interrogated, like the rage he displayed then and there with Kool-Aid, with bananas as well. He says after the episodic rage, the child may appear to be normal. So it's just like one complete escalation and then it just goes to the second, like to the other extreme. For comparison, remember the silent twins and when they would, you know, start pulling their hair out, but then the very next moment they would just be calm, sitting at the therapist office, like, yeah, nothing happened, we are totally okay, we're great. Everything is, uh, you know, sun is shining. Uh, how great is this? But the prosecution's expert said it was a rare disorder, like that was rarely seen at Smith's age. So Smith was subjected to extensive medical testing from specialists from both sides, and they were to examine like brain function, hormone levels, and just found nothing to explain the violent behaviors. So it's just again like always going back and forth and as we know in these trials like they can find an expert to say anything literally one expert can be like yep he's completely normal and the other one can be like oh no these tests actually show he's a complete fucking psychopath so smith's mother said that some of it might have been her fault because she took a drug to control her epilepsy while she was pregnant with eric so the drug 3dn can actually cause some birth defects and then the defense psychiatrist is backing this up by saying that the drug would have caused Derek to be violent. He also does believe that the drug caused his ears to be low set and caused his development delays, which profoundly affected his self-esteem. His pain and rage overwhelmed him. Basically, if you look up pictures of Eric Smith, he has a particular look. It's creepy as fuck. But yeah, if you look him up and I'll post on Twitter as well, he has quite like strange appearance. Like so he had really poor eyesight from the early age, so he wore like those thick, you know, specs that people who are like serial killers or over the age of like seventy wear. And he's like a little child looking like a grown ass man in a turtleneck. <laughs> And yeah, his ears like were really low as well, which like obviously everybody mocked him for everything in school. But you can't like, I don't quite get this defense in terms of like, you can't blame. I know you were trying to explain that yeah, mother was taking the medication, so this is why he turned out, but it kind of sounds like you're blaming something she couldn't control, which is like epilepsy for how he turned out, like physically. And then that caused people to like bully him. It's just too many points. So like, and then people are bullying him, so he is taking the rage out on somebody else. It's too many points for a defense to be like successful, okay? Clearly a defense lawyer here. Shouldn't it be just something really simple? Like, yep, look at how he was bullied. Look at all of these cases. This is why he had rage. Wouldn't that be like a lot more powerful than this? clearly gonna get hate for this, okay? Also, what's important about this case is it was a 15-day trial, but it was in 1994, which was the same year that OJ's trial took place. So it was just like in the news, it was like, what's gonna be a bigger story, which obviously OJ won good congrats. But yeah, this trial, in terms of like portrayal in the media, of course, media was crazy about it. Again, the defense wasn't really helping themselves in the way of representation of a child. Like, he would come in over in a cartoonish t-shirt. And not just that, but he wore a Tasmanian Devil t-shirt, which was one of the victims' like favorite cartoons as well. So like, Derek actually wore like a similar t-shirt in his life. Why are you causing this much pain? What the parents? Certainly just research what was the victim's favorite cartoon before the defense letting him actually wear this 
think about this this can really influence the jury as well if he's all dressed like a grown-up of course they're gonna look at him like yeah he can be responsible for his own actions look at him he's a grown-ass man look at how they dressed him up for court and in a way eric didn't actually help himself just because of his glasses you know his poor eyesight and also how they dressed him so like he might have been actually seen in that way as well and because of the age difference between him and the victim but also then when you the next day dress him in a tasmanian devil like the jury can also see that as like oh so you have the childish aspect to you that's also present during this crime you know the banana the kool-aid everything but also you're not just that but you're a dick because you're also wearing the shirt with the cartoon character that the victim adored i don't understand the thought process for the defense or the choice of of the clothing like somebody you know there must be a fashion designer for like court trials there must be a job right americans hit me up let me know so he gets nine years to life and there's a video online about the verdict being read he just shows completely just no emotion whatsoever at, at this decision okay just now like after the trial so like there's this video like so he just goes out of the courtroom and yeah his parents are losing their shit like his mom is crying and just hugging him and like i don't think he understood like hey he can't just continue with his day the way he did when he murdered a kid he's actually going to jail and now like everything that happens now from jail and like his parole it's just going to make your blood boil it just proves that he's just media attention whore and i, I just have no sympathy for this guy like if he went to prison he, he just didn't know how to play it like and he still hasn't been paroled so that's proven okay that's not just me judging it so while in jail he wrote an apology letter to rob his family they don't deserve to relive this shit forever and he reads it on public television sorry why don't you send the fucking letter if you are this humble person who is regretting it why do you need to have a public interview where you're reading it out he said i know my actions have caused a terrible loss in the robbie family and for that i'm truly sorry i've tried to think as much as possible about what derek will never experience his 16th birthday christmas anytime owning his own house graduating going to college getting married his first child yes like why are the family just reading this and reliving exactly what they're thinking this whole fucking time if i could go back in time i would switch places with eric and endure all the pain i have caused him if it meant that he would go on living i'd switch places but i can't at the end of the statement smith states that he cannot bear the photo walls razor wire and steel metal bars for the rest of his life it's again what we don't think when it comes to trial and verdicts when it comes to killer kids is that two lives are destroyed so both of the victims were minors so it's not just that you know one of them is dead but yeah one of them will never have a chance at a normal life and it's not like coming from a place of sympathy it's just like something that we never think about this so this guy you know might stay in prison his whole life for something he did when he was 13 and just to think he might have not even been like, like a prime suspect immediately had he not just acted childish with the crime scene just yeah moral of the story teach your kids to love all fruits and vegetables yes yeah? so they never act like this yeah and teach them never to commit crime as well you know because one needs to work with the other for this not to happen now i want you to think about this he was denied parole 10 times okay the last time was in january 2020 but what that means is there's a parole hearing every two years just imagine relieving this 
as a family every single child like you can definitely just never move on because you need to mentally prepare yourself like what is he going to say what do you need to say to convince the parole board never to let him out it's every two years who invented this rule like i guess it's like okay it's fair for prisoners also especially if you are innocent and just in prison but like this is insane for the victims families for Eric's own family as well because they're like what have we done last time and what can be improved to like get our child out as well so he actually said Eric Smith he actually said that he wants to go out into the society and help people like him he was preparing himself for the life out see he says no one deserves this type of violence so he talks about the kids who go to do unthinkable crimes and then how they endure years of abuse, whether school, home, and both. He said he had issues at home, but he was not going to talk about that. But then, like, you need to specify, like, kids like what? You need to specify exact abuse and how you're going to help them if this is your parole board freaking statement. So because of the sexual nature of the crime, the question of whether he was abused was repeatedly raised at this trial, but also was repeatedly denied. So there is a testimony from his older sister Stacy, who was sexually abused by this stepfather. But again, there was nothing connecting Smith to being abused by the same person or anybody else. It's made a case that he was uniquely qualified to counsel bullied children. And he one day sees himself as a forensic psychologist doing research on children who kill. He said, you may think I'm a threat or to the well-being of society. And I can understand why you would feel that way. The fact is that I'm not. I'd be an asset to the society. This is what pisses me off. Like, it makes my blood boil. Not because of what he's saying. Like, I understand you need to, like, something that keeps you alive in prison. You need to have a dream of, like, the outside world. But it's this inflated sense of self that he keeps himself present in the media gives himself a platform reads this freaking letter makes this family relive this anyways two years and then he just uses this as the opportunity for him to shine nobody's gonna let you out mate you're not humble at all like you're not showing empathy you're just like there being like this is what i want to do look at me you're not showing parole board how you recovered which is the main fucking thing for the parole board to let you out and how you're a change man you're just like this is my dream like look at me please let me out <laughs> but also who will be after 10 times being denied it's just sad but like what parole officer is just going to sign this off after 10 rejections you're like no i mean if 10 people before me 10 boards so like probably more than 10 people actually before me decided on this like um i'm not gonna get myself in shit this guy is clearly not gonna get out you know what might work in his case because i'm not like a huge prison lover <laughs> I'm not a huge supporter of prisons, but then but in some cases I just know that, you know, reforming somebody like this can't actually be done from the outside. But, like, letting him out for a few hours and seeing, you know, somebody actually supervising it and seeing, like, what he actually does when he's in the outside world. So, like, I don't know, three hours every day or, like, some part-time job. You know, letting him have, like, a part-time job and seeing if he can sustain that and then maybe, like, walk for an hour and see what he does. Like, does he actually revert to crime? Or does he just move on and then yeah, monitor that for, you know, a couple of months, years? And hey, then, like, put him on the parole board and see what they say. Is there a word for that kind of system? Does that exist? Let's go into the background of both Derek and Derek Smith. So the victim, Derek Robbie, was just like a completely normal innocent child okay he was just an inquisitive boy his brother like was a baby but he was just free 
So he's just like, he loved to climb. He was, as I said, into this lady, a devil, into baseball. He was just attending this recreational program again because he was just full of energy in this park that was just again on the street. And it's just this morning that he told his mom he can walk home from it. And the mom was actually like, uh, like, I'm not sure, but like, it was different times. Plus, this was literally down the street. So like, he didn't even have to cross the road. So the mom was like, okay, cool. Yeah, this is like, what, three minutes away. So like, it's the first time she ever left him walk anywhere alone. Again, just think about just the guilt that somebody must go through. Because it's like, oh, I should have never let them go do this. Just, I hate the guilt in the aftermath of events, like the guilt you feel, it's completely unreasonable, like it has nothing to do with you and his own. It has all to do with the person that actually killed your son, and you were just there, like, guilt-stricken. Eric was also born in Savona, population was actually 970, so just like nothing, 970 people, that's like freaking Yelford area. <laughs> okay. I didn't look that up, so yeah, don't trust me with that. But hey, he was a middle child, and I said everything like about his poor eyesight, like poor eyesight. So he had a speech impediment as well. He was usually, as a child, he was sometimes found banging head on the floor. So like, could have that brought some concussions, and could have that played again into um, into the motive or into the crimes that he did. So he was bullied at school. Like whatever he did or said was just not good enough. He was just. Every day he was dreading going to school and then dreading going onto the bus. Like he would get off the bus every day crying. His parents' approach was his mom just told him he needs to stand up for himself. That's not good advice that you can go and do something about that. And like of course he wasn't excelling, like or he wasn't like feeling happy about his life. Like he equated going to school every day to going to hell. Like in his own words. So of course like if this is like a bigger chunk of your life. And you hate it, trust me. I know it. Hate my job. Yep. <laughs> this is what you equate it to. Of course, you're not excelling. You're just there like drowning, you know, waiting for somebody to save you, you know, again completely no comparison to my own life. <laughs> yeah, save yourself, Eric, okay? Again, what have I done? Created this podcast, created an outlet. Save yourself. You, sh- you could have saved yourself, but no, now you're just a media attention whore, okay? <laughs> so the mom told him to stand up for himself, but like his adoptive father actually was worse. Like there is the hearing, freaking recording of this dad on the witness stand, and he was just like, what is he saying? Like how is he actually treating this like as something he should say on the witness stand? I don't understand. Like he was rough on him as well, so Eric would actually approach him and say that he was angry and he wanted to hurt something. This guy tells him that once, like, when he feels some anger, he, you know, finds a boxing bag and then he just, like, boxes at it until he calms down. Again, such a great advice for a 13-year-old child. Like, do you have a boxing bag? No. So, what Eric does, he's just like, oh, thanks, great. Goes out of the house, comes back in, like, he has bloody knuckles because he went and, like, just, you know, took the anger out on a tree. Because again, do you have like a gym? Do you have like a fucking bag? Do you send your child to do any freaking physical activity? No, this is the 90s. Like, he could have gotten professional help. If this case was something, I don't know, like something from the 50s or 60s, you'd be like, oh, okay, cool, nobody understood shit. The parenting was all like willy-nilly. But this is 90s. Like, this is not that, like, insanely far ago for us to be like, oh, okay, cool. They just told him to, you know, express the anger and he got it, like, got it out on the tree. So, of course, like, Eric, because he didn't get any reasonable, actionable advice, 
he was shutting down and he started hurting animals. When I guess in the next second which animals he hurt, he didn't actually have a choice. He would just hurt all of them. Like with his BB gun, he would shoot like dogs, cats, birds. Because again, he's just exerting control. He doesn't have control to stand up to his bullies, to stand up to anybody in his family. This is who he can exert control over. We see it again and again. So that's the case, and let's just go into discussing the motives. Okay, the primary motive here for me that was like prevalent at all points is bullying becoming a bully. Like we see it, you know, we see it everywhere. Like you need to have control over some parts of your life and Eric didn't have it anywhere. Like in his school life, in his home life, you know, even on the ways of like between school and at home. So of course he found, you know, another young small child. And he was like, yeah, I'm gonna show you whatever these bullies are showing, you know, have been showing to me. And what I don't understand is the part where he sodomized Derek. Has that never been checked in a way that like, hey, maybe Eric was abused in this way by somebody in school. But it sounds to me like it's something that you would replicate. And then maybe you're saying the sentence so like, hey, I thought like, you know, his heart would stop because somebody again said it to you. So I'm very confused about that part because that's not a part that you just think about like in the spur of the moment. You know, not even as an adult, like let alone as a child. So it was that plus like he never got any professional help for his anger even though his family knew about it. So it's kind of like a mix of this like exertion of control with, you know, some untreated things from his childhood. So from like his birth, like why did the mother never come up then? And be like, hey... Listen, my child is of the age of two or three. You see how I took this medication for epilepsy? What kind of consequences are there? Like, what could I do, you know, to prevent, like, him, like, actually displaying anything? Or, hey, he has actually speech impediment. Let's speak with the doctor. Let's speak with psychiatrists. Let's speak with people. Let's get him help. Let's make him make sure that he can actually handle the bullying and the treatment he's getting in school. But let me know what you think about the motives about it. What is prevalent? The people who are bullied always become bullies? Or is it more that people just need to get professional help and you just uh, need to monitor them? Helicopter parenting all the way. God, that's so intense. This is why I'm not having a child yet, man. Just imagine, you need to hover over them all the time. You're like, oh, okay, you have anger. Yeah, she is cool. Yeah, don't go beat a tree. Let's uh, get you into some sports. Let's go run around the block. Like, uh, let's go run to the psychiatrist office. You know. <laughs> Sources for this podcast have been True Crime All The Time podcast, Murderpedia, and CBS News article, Why Did Eric Kill? That's that for the Kill Kid case. Now you can head off to Patreon when I'm covering another, yeah, actually probably more famous case than this, is a minisode. It's the case of Jesse Pomeroy, another killer kid. You know, let's just crack down on these motives behind these kids and see how we can compare them. So I have some recommendations for you for um, what you can watch, you know, that's pretty intense and can again totally distract you from the quarantine. So if you have apparently Sky TV, I'm just looking this up, there's a channel called Pick that I discovered when we went to Elton Towers for a day. 
Because the hotel show didn't, that was apparently the best thing we could actually watch because everything else just showed some ancient things that, yeah, I wouldn't want to watch. I was like, what is this channel? It literally just follows police or border control around the country and then <laughs> shows the most, the driest parts of their job. Like, hey, uh, someone's speeding and we are stopping them and then uh, is this their motorbike or is it not? <laughs> Let's investigate. Or... We are raiding a house of a famous drug dealer. Well, famous is a stretch of a word, but yeah, of a hood drug dealer. And then where could they have hidden drugs? Or how many bank accounts do they have? Let's search the house to see if they're hiding under the bed. That's that's all it is. But yeah, they make it like... <laughs> they try to make it so intense, but it's still the driest thing that is out there on television. And it's showing these police officers and everybody just like so psyched, like this is the highlight of the night, just another night on duty, and you just know that they don't have like even those remotely interesting cases on any other nights. Another thing that I discovered like during actual quarantine yesterday, and I blame you all for never telling me about this TV show, okay? How the fuck this thing has nine seasons? Is it nine seasons? Yeah, nine seasons. It's called Beyond Scared Straight. It's uh, how this is epic. How can nobody tell me? Also, whoever watched all nine seasons of this, are you okay? Do you know that there are other programs out there? It's basically these like American prisoners. You know, like those hardcore, like yep, murdered how many people, whatever. Speaking to like juvenile offenders, <laughs> they come to visit them, and these juvenile offenders are always cocky little bastards who are just laughing in their face. And then the prisoners are actually telling them how they're little shits and asking them if they want to fight with them and screaming in their face and surrounding them, you know. Kind of like bullying them out of committing crime. <laughs> so, and that apparently works. Works well enough for it to be on television for nine seasons. How? Are there studies showing that this has actually reduced the crime rate in the US? Please, somebody, uh, let me know. You know you know where to find me, yeah? Podbam.gmail.com or just tweet me, that bam pod. Just somebody let me know. Has this had any effect? Because <laughs> this is this is the show is insane. That's that for recommendations corner. Okay, so I thought like really hard. Do I even share anything on you know the C word, the coronavirus? So I thought I'll make it really specific and I'll just share three tips on how to you know go for your days if you are a control freak or you know if you are just me purely. <laughs> So number one tip that about what works is have a routine because it gives you some sort of control as it always does or did in my life but like it's kind of even more important now and that can be anything from like hey I walk at 10am I in my lunch breaks I meditate or I do this or that and it's just literally you know like a freaking Nazi regime where you're like, no, I have control over this, this, and this parts of my life. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I will still do the exact same things like at the exact same time. Second tip would be to use everyday situations that are happening now, like stocking up on food, again to exert control. And I don't mean fight and elbow people in the freaking shops. <laughs> Experience that? It's not nice, okay? I mean more about the choice of actual food. You're stocking up on canned food, which you never did before. Like, choose the food that you actually want to eat or you actually like. The same applies to drinks or snacks, because then at least you won't hate yourself when you're at home and you need to actually cook or prepare all of that. And um, yeah, that might actually work towards your self-love as well and enhancing some self-love instead of self-hate, which will 
probably inevitably happen during the isolation period. Number three, maybe most important one for anybody, is find a distraction. For me, right now, it's mental decluttering. It will probably go to physical decluttering of clothes and everything. But just to explain what mental decluttering is, it's like unsubscribing from newsletters, from any podcasts I don't listen to, like removing any series or movies from my trackers and just trying to actually only watch and see what, yeah, I enjoy. This again might be the complete opposite of what you want to do and like maybe you just actually want to binge on everything. (laughs) You know, and listen to any podcast that you haven't done in your life yet. But hey, if you discovered me, welcome. That's a great idea, guys. Don't stop that. This is a tip if you're a control freak, because again, it will give you some control of this is what I'm doing in order to focus on the more important things. Plus, with the amount of newsletters, like every single email being about COVID, yeah, it kind of helps you keep your sanity as well. So uh, that's why it sort of started. And during this time, it's as important as ever to enforce everything I have been enforcing, you know, on this pod. Forever, from nostalgia to analogies and thinking about how something you know you hear in a story, like on this pod, uh, actually connects to your real life and uh, making those funny analogies in your head and then just laughing like a freak, like you know a solo host um, like me. <laughs> and if working from home for the past three months taught me anything, that is to view everything with a different angle. It's like every day I'm like I look at this bed, I'm like this is a different bed. This is a better bed today than it was yesterday. You know, I just go out on the street, I'm like, fresh air. The air never tasted so fresh. I'll question it. I'm gonna question this. Why does air taste better? Why does air taste better today than it did yesterday? How does that happen? You know, just walking down the road, listening to this podcast in your ears, you know, on your headphones, you're like, huh, Maya sounds slightly better than she did. Like, she she learned it all. Isn't she just structuring her episodes better? She doesn't sound as nasal as before. Her accent is even like... I mean, she she's basically British. <laughs> no? Nobody? Really? Really, guys? Really? After freaking 11 episodes. So yeah, I'm leaving you this week trying to get you to focus on everything. Trying to get you to see everything in a different light. And uh, most importantly, question everything. Yeah. Now when you hear a story, because you actually have time to process it, you know, and to be mentally present, question the whys. Question the why done it in every story, even if you're in a supermarket hoarding for, you know, the future. <laughs> or if you're just walking down the road, questioning why is the air different today than it was yesterday. Question the whys. And then ruminate on it and keep making the world a better place. One motive at a time. Good bye, guys. <laughs>